you have a Bible this morning, I'd like to begin with a verse out of Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. On the day that Jesus Christ was born, there was no one on the face of the earth, not even Mary, who understood what was happening on that day. Of course, Mary knew this was no ordinary person. You're probably a 15, 16-year-old girl, and all of a sudden there's a baby growing in your stomach and you, your womb, and there's, you've never been with a man. Something is going to tell you this is an extraordinary baby. But let's face it, not even for a moment, not even for a moment did anyone think that the child growing in the woman was God. I don't even think that thought even crossed anyone's mind. Now the Jews knew that the Messiah was coming. Jews knew that he was to be expected, and so they were looking for the Messiah. They knew their Old Testaments. They'd read this verse. They looked ahead to the day when this light would dawn in the darkness of their captivity from the Romans and all that they had been through. But no one understood the enormity of what was taking place this night in Bethlehem. No one understood what was wrapped up in this child. One of my favorite readings at Christmas, I think I read it every year, is written by a It's called Sharon's Christmas Prayer, and I'm going to read it again. She was five, sure of the facts, and recited them slowly, convinced every word was revelation. She said they were poor. They had only peanut butter and jelly sandwiches to eat. They went a long way from home without getting lost. The lady rode a donkey, the man walked, and the baby was inside the lady. They had to stay in a stable with an ox and an ass, but the three rich men found them because a star lighted the roof. Shepherds came, and you could pet the sheep but not feed them. And then the baby was born. And do you know who he was? And her quarter-sized eyes turned to silver dollars. The baby was God. And she jumped in the air and whirled around and dove into the sofa and buried her head under the cushion, which is the only proper response to the good news of the Incarnation. Hope was born that night in Bethlehem. A light in the darkness. So this morning, we are reminded that the first candle is the candle of hope. Now, hope is not just something that's nice to have. You can't live without hope. You won't survive 
without hope. Hopelessness will kill you. Hopelessness has killed many people. Dr. Jerome Groupman, who is a professor at the Harvard Medical School and has diagnosed many, many people with serious illness, discovered that people were generally looking for one thing in common even more than the prescription of what to take. And that was he discovered that people were looking for some sense of hope. In his book, Anatomy of Hope, this is how he defines hope. And I I like this definition. He says, hope is the ability to see a path to the future. Hope is the ability to see a path to the future. And I think his definition is, is well taken here. Hope involves a path to the future because in Isaiah 9, 2, it says the people are walking in darkness. When you're walking in darkness, you cannot see where you're going. In fact, if it's really dark, you can't even see where you are. He describes it as a people living under a shadow. It's like the sun is blocked and there's this heavy shadow over us. And he says the shadow is death. And that you and I live under this shadow of death. That we, we live in, in this kind of, of darkness. And so now the light has come. Hope has come. And when light shines in the darkness, you can begin to see the path again to the future. You can see where you are and begin to see where you are going. And so we find that throughout history, people have survived all kinds of things. This morning, you can relate to some of these. Loss of job, loss of health, loss of freedom, loss of family, loss of friends, loss of reputation. And there are amazing stories of people that have endured incredible things. The one common denominator is hope. When hope is gone, people die. I mean, you can literally die, not because you have a disease or not because of something else, but because you lose hope. I I read this week, there was a gal by the name of Opal Conger. She died January 13th at the age of 97. She was survived by her husband, who was 101. He'd been married for 81 years. He always said he couldn't live without her. And so the next day, he went to bed, and he never got up. He died that night. That's not an uncommon thing. Now, perhaps not that quickly, but very often. When a spouse loses hope, they will very quickly deteriorate and die. Proverbs 13, 12 says this, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. You can live for 40 days without food. You can live for about three days without water. You can live for about eight minutes without air. But you also can't live without hope. Now, there's a second text I want us to look at, and that's Paul's words in the book of Ephesians. And Paul writes about the condition of each one of us at some time in our life in Ephesians chapter 2. I'd like to read verse 12. This is what it says. 
Remember, at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from the citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. Without hope and without God in the world. Now, we need to to appreciate what he's saying here. We need to see this in context because if you go back to chapter 1, Paul is talking about all of the hope that we have, and he defines that in terms of spiritual blessing. If you're a believer today, Paul's talking to you in Ephesians 1. And he says, you know what? You've been chosen. You've been adopted into God's family. You've been redeemed. You have been forgiven through His blood. God has revealed to you the mystery of His will. He's filled you with His Holy Spirit. He's given you hope. He's given you power like that which raised Christ from the dead. And he goes on and on with all of these blessings in Christ. And then he gets to chapter 2, and this is how he starts it. But as for you, you were dead. Paul says, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. As we read on, then he writes in chapter 12, without hope. And without God in the world. And so this was your condition. This is where you were at. And and remember here that what we already talked about, that without hope you will die. Paul tells us that without hope we were already dead. Physically dying and spiritually dead because we didn't have the hope. Because we were without God excluded from citizenship in heaven because of our sin. And then in verse 13, and, and here comes the really bizarre piece. But now, I, I love that word. It's my, I think it's one of my favorite words in the Bible. But. Verse 13. We were without hope, without God, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near. And listen how. Through the blood of of Jesus through the blood of Christ. And so, as I mentioned, this is a really bizarre piece because I mentioned earlier, no one had any idea that this child growing in the womb of Mary was God himself. But I can tell you, no one had any idea what this child came to do. No one ever thought that this child was born so that he could die. No one ever thought that he would save the world through his blood, through the shedding of his blood. I mean, it's not like anyone was going to sit down and figure that out. I don't think anyone sat down one day and said, okay, yeah, let's see, God, the God of the universe becomes a child in the womb of a young virgin and gets born and lives a sinless life and then dies on a cross and is resurrected so that by faith we might have our sins forgiven. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I mean, if you just stop and think about it, this is is so beyond human wisdom. No one could have ever thought this up. Not even those closest to Jesus that walked with him, who explained numerous times, could understand. I mean, who would have ever thought that it was going to be through the blood 
Everyone thought that the Messiah would come and save them through his might and his power and his wisdom and his strategic thinking and his ability to gather people around him. And yet we see it was not through any of that. It was through his blood. Looking back, we, we see the constant theme. It was Adam and Eve that were clothed through the shedding of blood of the animal skins. And then Abel brought a blood sacrifice that was acceptable to God. Uh, then we saw Isaac, who was saved. You know, he was saved by that ram in the bush as Abraham was about ready to sacrifice him. Then we see Exodus, the Exodus where Israel is freed from the angel of death by the blood that's put over the door. We see the, the temple and the continual sacrifices for sin going on and on and on. And then Jesus. And he becomes the ultimate sacrifice of blood. And we see in the epistles the continual reference to Jesus Christ. Hebrews 9.22 Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And so this morning, this morning we are here to celebrate hope. We are here to celebrate the fact that the hope of all ages has come, that God has shown a light into the darkness, in this shadow of death which hangs over all of our lives and those that we love. And we're also here not only to celebrate love but to or hope, but to appreciate hope. Because this hope came at an incredible cost. And it was through the very blood of God Himself. This morning I'm going to... <coughs> summarize what I'm saying this morning with a testimony by a man by the name of Jim Monroe. It's a little longer testimony, but it's a very powerful reminder as we this morning prepare for this communion table. And here's what I'm going to do. We're going to, I'm going to invite you just to listen to the video. And I'm going to invite you at the end of that video. I'm going to ask Vicki to come up. I'm just going to ask her to just play quietly for a couple minutes and, and just allow that time to let God speak to you to prepare yourself for the table. And uh, I'll also ask our men then at the end of that time to come on up and we will move into our communion time. So with that, we'll uh, share this testimony. Uh, I've been playing with cards since I was actually a kid. Been learning this for a really long time. You know, learning how to become a magician, uh, I have developed a skepticism. And um, that's really where my story starts. Having become a magician, you understand that there's some kind of scheme or something going on behind the scenes that's, that's ultimately fake or false. The idea of a god seems really silly. It seems really, 
really silly. That's like the Wizard of Oz. It's like the, the wizard behind the curtain making things happen. However, one day in college, I got asked to go to a church, um, check it out, and so I did. Something happened to me that morning that I couldn't quite fit into my worldview. There was a way, there was a, there was a version of the story that was shared. I began to ask myself the God question, like, man, maybe there's something more to this. You know, if I was going to believe in this God, if I was going to believe in the Bible, if I was going to acknowledge, you know, who ultimately the Bible points to, which who's Jesus, if I was going to acknowledge all those things, um, I asked, I asked God, I said, man, I said, God, I need you to make this real to me. I need you to make this so real to me. I need you to take me back behind the curtain. Sometimes when you, sometimes when you pray prayers, man, you're not fully, ex you don't want them to be answered. <laughs> um, mine was getting ready to be answered. Here I was, I'm 29 years old. Um, I've been married for five years. I've got a three-year-old girl and a two-year-old boy. And this really intense pain started happening in my leg. And I was popping 10 Advil at a time, trying to make it go away. We decided that it'd probably be best if I went to the ER. They began to run a bunch of tests on me. The doctor walked in. Your white blood cell count's a little bit high. We're gonna do some more tests, we're gonna check it out. Another doctor walked in, and on his name badge it said Texas Oncology, a cancer doctor. And he says, Mr. Monroe, you have leukemia. We gotta do something about this right now. This doctor basically told me in two months, you're gonna die if we don't do anything. They get me down to MD Anderson Cancer Center, and they begin to run this just battery of tests on me. CAT scans, catheter into my chest, sticking huge needles into my spine. It's a complete whirlwind. The first doctor on call who's gonna oversee all of my treatment comes in. He looks at me and he says, he says, Mr. Monroe, I've got some bad news for you. <laughs> and at that point, I'm going, you mean like worse than cancer bad news? He says, the kind of, uh, the kind of leukemia that you have is actually more rare than we initially thought. Even if we fight your cancer um, and get you into remission, this thing's gonna come back. And we could get you into remission again, and then it's gonna come back. No matter how hard we hit it, it's gonna keep coming back. But there is something there is something that we want to do. There's something that we can assist in and seeing you completely made well, healed. And I said, okay, let me, let me, let me hear it. We want to do a procedure called a bone marrow transplant. What we want to do is we want to get you into remission by treating you with chemotherapy, but then we want to find somebody somewhere in the world whose DNA matches yours so succinctly that literally we're gonna take their immune system out of their body and put it into yours.
we're gonna hope that your body recognizes it enough as its own and essentially will it'll begin to grow new white blood cells from an entirely new person <laughs> that is that's like real magic so they went and they tested my biological sister and my own biological sister wasn't a close enough match which was a huge blow to the situation so then they went into this database that the National Bone Marrow Donor Program keeps. And they came back to me and they said, Mr. Monroe, out of the 7 million person database, you've got 16 possible matches. Out of those 16 possible matches, we found one perfect match. It's a 19-year-old female. We found one perfect match. And we were elated, and we were so excited that there was somebody out there who was not only a match, but after being contacted, was willing to give their blood and to be brave enough to give me um, what I needed to live. So they began the process, and they began the chemotherapy. And um, those first 10 days were just, I mean, they literally destroyed me. You know, as we're going through this process, they would use terminology like, literally, you're gonna be born anew. When we get you to transplant and we put this new blood inside of you, you're gonna be given a new, um, you're gonna be given a new birthday. You're gonna be like a baby inside the womb all over again. And I'd heard that terminology before in scripture. So I was thinking, man, this is kind of weird. I'm, I'm literally dying to death. And then they brought that bag of blood into the room. The whole time, this whole process was waiting to get that new blood on the inside of me. They stick it in my IV, and the new blood begins to run into my body. The doctors and nurses, everybody involved, are hoping that my body will accept this new blood. And it did. My body accepted this new blood, and it slowly began to build a new immune system. And, and I'm completely cancer-free today. 100% cancer-free. It's no longer I who lives, but someone else who lives inside of me. When they look at my, when they look at my blood now, they investigate it. They don't see, um, they don't see a 30-year-old male. They see a 19-year-old female. Literally got XX chromosome living on the inside of me. A substitution of blood on my behalf so that I could live again and so that the deception of my body would die. That to me is very difficult to ignore. Asking God to reveal himself to me, that's very difficult to ignore. I believe that all of us 
have a spiritual cancer that's eating us away on the inside. And we really take a look at it and we are dying and we're begging for somebody to intervene and to step in on our behalf. That's not a question in my mind that the only answer for the human condition is that of Jesus. My life with Jesus has completely changed as a result of my darkest hour. And um, I'm actually thankful for the process I've had to go through. As a skeptic and a magician, I fully believe, I fully believe in not only who God is, but what he did for me. There's no question in my mind. My name is Jim Monroe, and I am second. Father, this morning we thank you for this very powerful reminder of the power that there is in your blood. Father, there are many things that amaze us about you. The most amazing that through our faith in Christ, through the acceptance of His sacrifice on our behalf, that when you look at us and the sinfulness represented in our blood, that you no longer see us, but you see the blood of Christ covering us, filling us, flowing through our lives. So, Father, this morning, that's what this table's all about. It's about your blood. It's about the forgiveness that we can have through your blood. That it's all about us no longer living, but you living in us. Father, as we share in these elements today, I would pray... First of all, for anyone here who has yet to receive the work of your blood in their lives, 
Lord, that they would today believe and receive this gift that you offer all who will come. Father, as your people, might we realize how amazing and wonderful is this hope that we have. And may we worship you in this moment. Father, thank you for your table. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite those serving to come, and we are going to share in the bread and the cup this morning. You have received Jesus Christ, and you are invited to share in this table today. Bob to lead us in the blessing on the bread. Lord Jesus, we thank you for taking human flesh upon yourself, for subjecting yourself to the frailties of this world, for leaving heaven to come here for us. We would just honor you today for doing that, and we would honor you for being victorious over the evil for living a perfect life, that she could be the sacrifice for our sins. We just pray that you would be honored now. We thank you for this in Jesus' name.
Jesus lifted the bread that night and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Take it and eat it. In the same manner that night, they shared the cup, symbol of Christ's blood, and I'll ask our men to rise as we prepare to share in the cup. Ask Mike to share as a blessing on the cup today. Heavenly Father, Lord, today we celebrate and remember the gifts on this table. We celebrate and remember them because they represent you. And Lord, you became our hope. And today you told us that hope is the knowledge of the path to our, to our future. Well, our future is salvation. Our future is eternity with you. You gave us that. And so, Lord, we thank you for becoming our hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 